Good morning, everybody. Wow, if you're not awake yet, you are now. He is risen. We are so excited to be here to celebrate today the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are here at Hosanna's Resurrection, the Sunday sunrise service. And um, yeah, you know the video on the screen there is uh, sunrise outside, but it's a little darker than it is on the screen out there. And we are gathered here at 6 a.m. under the cover of darkness to celebrate what we're gonna be reading about in the Word today. But I do wanna take a moment to say thank you to our worship and tech teams who have been here for a while already. Much earlier than the rest of us, I remember those days. And um, yeah, so. (laughs) But even though we're inside right now, it is dark outside, it is early in the morning. Today, sunrise is scheduled for 6.33 Pacific time. And there may be already outside, or in a few moments at least, glimpses of the light of a new day. And you know, that waning darkness, those glimmers of light coming through, they're appropriate this morning as we're gathered here. It helps us to fully remember the joy of this Easter morning. You know, because today, as we're gathered here, we're here to celebrate, but not just to celebrate, to proclaim, to announce to the world the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news to the entire world, The good news that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is not dead, but he is surely alive. Good news that hope has won, that joy is victorious, that salvation is here, that the darkness has been defeated by the light. And it was darkness that described how Jesus' followers first entered into that very first Easter morning. Darkness as Mary arrived at the tomb. So we read in John chapter 20, it tells us that she arrived at the tomb and it was dark. A very simple statement, but that word darkness, much like the darkness that fell upon the land on Good Friday, wasn't just a physical manifestation of the absence of physical light. It was also symbolic and speaks of the darkness of mankind's state. The darkness that exists within the heart of man, the darkness of our spiritual condition, the fact that without Christ we are lost stumbling around in the darkness. And because his followers had witnessed a horrific event just a few days before this Easter morning, they, following the death of Christ, were in very, very, very deep despair. They were in deep despair over what they had witnessed, and each one of them were on a journey. They were on a journey from fear to faith. And we're going to look at 10 a.m. today in greater detail, that journey through the lens of Mary Magdalene. But this morning, we're just going to look at the first nine verses of John chapter 20 and look at how every, every single one of us, every person is on a journey from fear to faith in this world. All of us walk that road. And as we celebrate this morning with the sunrise coming up behind us on the screen, we too are celebrating our personal journey out of darkness into the light. But we're going to open this morning in celebration and worship and praise of Almighty God because he is worthy. He is due that worship. He deserves that worship. He saved our souls. And there is nothing greater to worship him for. So join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, we're so grateful to be here gathered together as the body of Christ, Lord, your family, to celebrate your resurrection. God, we are here to just lift up your holy name and praise you, God, because, Lord, you not only died on the cross for our sins, but then you rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, setting us free forever, and we're so grateful and so thankful for that, God. And, Lord, we just want to lift up your name. 
We want to lift up your name and worship God and say thank you. To say we love you so much for the salvation that you have freely granted us. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. As I said in the opening, just a few days earlier, many of Jesus' disciples experienced what they believed to be the end of Jesus' ministry. After three years of walking with him and seeing miracle after miracle, seeing lives changed and people healed, they had now witnessed their Lord crucified, dying on the cross, a very tragic and horrifying end to what they thought was going to be a transformation of the entire world and the history of all mankind. They had witnessed betrayal from within. They had witnessed an unjust trial that led to his conviction on charges that he did not commit, leading to a punishment he did not deserve, and that resulting in a horrific torture, abuse, him being mocked, and ultimately killed on the cross. And they thought, that's it. It's over. Everything we hoped for, it's over. Everything we were looking forward to, it's over. And from their perspective, darkness had fallen. A deep, impenetrable darkness. A darkness of disappointment. A darkness of pain and fear. And they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what would happen next. Would Rome come after them too now for being his followers? Would they also be facing execution for their belief in Jesus Christ? And so that early Sunday morning, as it says there in verse one, it was still dark. But even though it was dark, they still had their deep devotion to their Lord, however. And the women who had begun a process of anointing his body for burial earlier at Bethany but in the rush to remove his body before the Sabbath and get it off the cross, that full anointing for burial was not yet completed. And so the women here Sunday morning, Mary leading here in John, and the other women returned to finish the task of his anointing. And so at verse, verse 1, it says that as they arrived, Mary saw the, that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. We can imagine her anguish. We can imagine her worry. I mean, as she's coming to the tomb, she sees something. Something had happened. That large, heavy stone that is rolled over to cover the opening of the tomb was now gone. It was gone, and Jesus' body was not there. And so she runs to tell Peter and John, and John writing this in his own gospel affectionately refers to himself, not by name, but as the one Jesus loved. And it says in verse three, at that Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb, and the two were running together. Now it tells us in verse 11 that Mary is back there in the, in the garden tomb crying so that we know all three of them came back together to the tomb and I don't believe they knew what to expect when they got there. They had their worries. They had their fears. We know Mary returned. We know Peter returned and John returned and they get there and someone had taken their Lord's body. Possibly a grave robber which was something very common in the day and 
someone as famous as Jesus at that time, that might have been a lucrative arrangement. But who would do such a thing? Why would they do such a thing? I mean, hadn't Jesus already suffered enough indignity to go through what he had just gone through in the last few nights? The beating, the torture, the the mocking, all of it. Wasn't it enough that he died on the cross, but now someone would take his body? How much darker could things get? They would have to now search for his body, and so they begin their investigation at the tomb. And John is the one who begins as he was the first one to arrive at the tomb. Another detail John affectionately records in his own gospel. And for reasons unknown, possibly just recounting the facts, possibly in, a, in an attempt to document his, his devotion, maybe his greater devotion, he records these funny little details. And so he says in verse 4, the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. For whatever reason, we don't know, it doesn't tell us, John would not enter the tomb just yet. But his wheels were turning. He saw the clothes lying there in the tomb. The burial cloths that they would wrap the body in as they would put them in the tomb just lying there. But he still wouldn't enter the tomb. But what does it mean? What does this mean? What has happened? Who stole his body? Why would they unwrap the whole thing first and then take it? But like the others, trying to figure out what this could mean. And in verse 6, it says, Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. There are so many of us in the church that identify with Peter. Big, lumbering, oafy Peter. But bold, confident Peter. The one who would step out of the boat in the middle of the sea, Peter, is the one who arrives and boldly steps right into the tomb, going right in for a close inspection. And then in verse 8, it says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in. And what was it they saw when they went in here? It tells us, Jesus' grave clothes lying there. But then it adds this detail that his head wrapping was also lying there, but separate and neatly folded up. What grave robber would take the time to fold up the clothes of the body they were stealing? What person of of criminal intent or, or just bad motivation would take the time to do that? What what does this mean? But it told us there that John went in in verse 8. And he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. What was it they saw this first Easter morning? What was it that that was happening inside this tomb that, that caused Mary such great distress thinking someone had taken his body? What was it in the news that caused Peter and John to get up and run to the tomb to find out what had happened? What was it that that John saw as he peeked into the tomb? What was it that Peter saw as he pushed John aside and boldly entered to investigate himself? Just grave clothes? Just a missing body? 
No. That's not what they saw. What they saw is the evidence that the light of the world had now broken into the darkness. What they saw was the evidence of what they had been told, and that is what we are here to celebrate this morning. Just as the light outside is beginning to shine through the darkness, so it was the case that first Easter morning so long ago. That is, just a few days earlier, they had seen the death of their hopes, the death of their dreams, the death of everything they thought was their future. Now something different is happening. Something that they don't quite yet understand, but John, it tells us here, he saw and he believed. This is where John the Apostle believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Mary herself still thinking his body was stolen. They took it. Peter, not sure. But John the Apostle, he got it. He put the, put the dots together. He saw something in the tomb that made him believe. And we know that by what it records for us here in the gospel. It says that John saw. That word saw is actually um, used here four times in these first 10 verses of John chapter 20. In verse one, it tells us that Mary saw that the stone had been removed. In verse five, it tells us John arriving first peeked in and he saw the linen clothes lying there. In verse eight, it tells us Peter arrived, pushed John aside, entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there also. And then in verse eight, it tells us John entered, he saw, and he believed. Now in the English, we don't get the nuances here because those four uses of the word saw in English are actually three different Greek words that mean three different things. The first word used in verse one when Mary saw that the stone was moved, and then verse five when John arrived and saw that the clothes were lying there, that word in the Greek is blepo, what does that word mean? It just simply means to see something with your eye. It means to just notice something. And so when John arrived, he noticed the fact that the linen clothes were lying there. He just, he saw them. They were physically there. Just as Mary just saw that the stone was rolled away. But in verse six, when Peter arrived and he saw, that word is the word thoreo a different Greek word that means to see something with careful attention, to spectate and observe. And so when Peter first arrived at the tomb, he didn't just notice that the clothes were lying there, but he analyzed. He started to think about it. He started to go, what does this mean that the clothes are there and the headscarf is folded up? He started to contemplate and consider, but he wasn't sure what to make of it yet. And then in verse eight, when it says John arrived, stepped in and saw and believed. It's a different Greek word, idon. We get our English word idea from this word, idon. It's the concept of, I get it. <clears throat> the idea that I understand. Or in cartoon terms, the light bulb appears above your head. The light had gone on for John. He's connected the dots. And when John steps in, he got it. He understood the meaning. He understood what was taking place. The, the, the linen clothes lying there, the, the head wrapping folded up neatly separately by itself. He understood, and he now understood what was taking place, and he believed 
He believed. His understanding was illuminated. John was thinking, Mary, Peter, don't you get it? His body wasn't stolen. Nobody showed up and and unwrapped his body and unwrapped the head and neatly folded it up and set it down and carefully just took his body away. Nobody showed up and moved this impossibly heavy stone. That's not what's taking place here at all. John got it. Jesus is risen. He's alive. He's not here. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. And so in verse 9, it says, For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Now it's an interesting detail there because the word they... I don't believe John is including himself in that they there in this statement. John is the author of this gospel because it is written after his namesake, and we know that he wrote it. And as he's recording this story and recording the moment of his resurrection faith, his belief, he records for us that Mary had misunderstood and come to tell them his body has been stolen. She was still in darkness. She was still in the darkness of grief and the darkness of despair and the darkness of hopelessness. Peter, well, he was not as dark, but still dim. He saw the clues. He analyzed the clues. He was thinking about the clues, but he had not yet connected the dots, not yet put it together. They did not yet understand the scripture. That word understand there means to comprehend the meaning. Everything Jesus had said and taught, everything they had in the Old Testament, all of the prophecies, everything foretelling. Jesus himself so many times telling them, hey, I'm gonna die and rise again on the third day. But impossible. Impossible. Isn't that how we can live our lives so many times? We have the word of God. We have the promises of God. We have the promise of resurrection in our lives. We have the promise of new life and a new heart. And through the power of Jesus and our obedience to his ways and doing things how he tells us, we have the promise of resurrection in our relationships and promise of the resurrection in in, in everything we do. And we've read those words and we've been told those words and we've studied those words for so long. But yet something happens and the darkness falls. And we look at the clues in front of us and we can't see anything but the most negative of interpretations. This must be the end. It must be hopeless. There is no way my my marriage can be reconciled. There is no way my, my, my relationship with my friends or my kids can be reconciled. There's no way this, this situation at work or in my business can, can be reconciled. It's just, it's hopeless. And yet, in so many times, Jesus right in front of us is like, have I not given you my word? Have I not spoken to you for these many years? Have I not promised you one thing after the other, and yet we'll experience something so devastating that we can't see anything but the darkness. And so Mary didn't get it. Peter didn't get it. 
but John records in his, in his gospel that he got it. That he understood at this moment. John records for us that he had gone from the darkness to the light. He had been illuminated, and he tells us here that even though he had not yet physically seen Jesus, he did indeed see the light of the truth. And that truth is a truth we have with us today. That truth is a truth we celebrate today. That truth is the gospel we have the opportunity to carry with us and to preach and to share every day of our lives. That Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your sins, yes, and that is so mighty and so powerful and so life-changing, but that he is alive. That he rose from the dead, defeating the power of death, granting us the hope and promise of eternal life. We're all gonna die one day here in this world, right? The, the best statistic ever written, 10 out of 10 people will not make it out of this life. But Jesus did. And he grants us a new life in him. And although our physical shell will die, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will rise again just as he did. That we will live in the power of his resurrection. And that future hope is so powerful and something we look forward to and cling to so powerfully, but it's a resurrection power today that today we also get to walk in the light. We have the opportunity today to say no to darkness, the darkness of our flesh and the darkness of our sin, to say, no, I'm not gonna live in that because I have been born again. I have been raised to new life. And yeah, there may be circumstances that come into my life and the, the, the clues even themselves present themselves and I'm like, I don't understand how this is good, how this is positive. But God has promised. God has spoken. God has done the work. God is working in your life. And he says, trust me. Because sometimes you may see an empty tomb and you may just see the emptiness and nothing else. But he says, no, I'm alive. I'm alive. Believe what I've said. Trust in my word. Now, although John didn't get to see Jesus physically with his own eyeballs just yet, Mary was the first to have that joy of physically seeing the risen Christ. And we're going to be looking at that in detail at 10 a.m. And so I hope to see you there, whether in our room or online. But the truth that John saw, it's the greatest truth of all time. The greatest truth of all time. Jesus is alive. He was alive then. He is alive today. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And guess what, Christian? He's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for you through every victory. He's praying for you through every challenge. And he's promised you as a co-heir all the rights and privileges of his as a child of God. And we look forward to that with such great enthusiasm. But that greatest truth of all time that Jesus is alive, believing in that truth, changes everything. It changes everything. A living Christ is an all-powerful Christ. A living Christ is a present Christ. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life now. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life in eternity. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us victory. 
A living Christ is a Christ who sets us free. A living Christ is a Christ who banishes the darkness. The darkness of fear, the darkness of worry, the darkness of anxiety. In Christ, gone. He banishes the darkness of despair, of anguish, of hurt. In Christ, gone. Shining the light of hope, the light of truth, the light of salvation into our lives and to all who would believe in him. We celebrate that fact this morning. That's why we're gathered here early in the morning as the darkness is breaking into light to celebrate that the darkness was destroyed by the light, the light of the world, the one who loves you, who loves me, who died and who rose again. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, you did it all. You defeated sin. You defeated death. You defeated the grave as we were worshiping this morning. Celebrating that, God, you have done it all. You purchased our redemption by the shedding of your blood. And God, as we looked at on Good Friday, the cost of our sin was great. And may we never forget that. The cost of our sin was overwhelming, and may we never forget that, Lord. But God, we don't just want to stay there. We don't want to dwell there. We don't want to turn inward and just focus on how bad we are, Lord. We are bad. We are sinners. But God, you love us. And you desired to set us free from sin. That we would be able to walk in your glory, to walk in your light, to live according to your will and your way, and to glorify your name with our lives. Lord, we weren't just forgiven of sin. We were born again. Spirits made alive and connected to you, God, and we're so grateful and we're so thankful for that, Lord. And we celebrate this morning your resurrection. God, may we be people like John who see and believe. That we wouldn't just be people who analyze the facts and step back to go, hmm, and think about it, Lord. God, we know in the Gospels that the philosophers in Athens did just that. They said, Paul, come tell us more of these interesting things so we could go, hmm, and think about them. But Lord, salvation comes when we believe, when we put our faith and trust in you. Lord, and those that are here this morning that are your children, that have trusted in you for their salvation, God, they've experienced that moment. And we're so grateful. And we're so thankful, Lord, that the message of your death and resurrection has gone down through the centuries, Lord, and that that message <clears throat> came into our lives. Someone shared that with us, that we would too, come to believe. And so, Lord, as we're celebrating today and every day of our lives, the fact that you are alive today, that you are praying for us today, that we would be people not just celebrating that fact, but telling everybody we can. Lord, you and I both know a lot of us are going to go to lunch today because it's Easter. 
and there are people in those places that don't know you. Give us the the strength and the boldness and the confidence, Lord. Just like Peter to, to barge in if we need to, just to say, hey, Jesus loves you. But Lord, we are so grateful for what you've done in our lives, and we want to close this sunrise service, Lord, in worship of you, praising your name, thanking you for the life we now have, the life we have in you, God. We celebrate that fact this morning, that hallelujah, you are risen. And God, just as you were raised to life, now in you we live. Thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.